Hello everybody, I'm Matt Mikuchi and this is Jazz's Travel. everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Micucci here welcoming you to a new episode of Jazz is Travel. This is a podcast series where we travel across the world to better understand the significance of jazz and other creative musics in different parts of the world, touching on music traditions of various cultures and speaking with groundbreaking and innovative music artists. Our guest today is Mehmet Ali Sanlikol, the Grammy-nominated Turkish-American composer-musician who will be releasing his new album, An Elegant Ritual, on July 16 via the Dunya label. On this record, he deepens a singular approach to melding the sonorities of Turkish music with contemporary jazz. And while Sanlikol has worked within a great variety of settings, from small groups to orchestras, this forthcoming LP marks his first recorded trio venture, drawing on a diverse array of worldly and spiritual inspirations, including Sufi mysticism and John Coltrane's legendary album, A Love Supreme. An elegant ritual is a most stunning achievement and just the type of project that we like to talk about on Jazz Is Travel. So without further ado, fire up an audio teeny, sit back, relax, and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Hi, Mehmet. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Matt. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. Um, where are you speaking to us from today? Uh, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, right. and uh, have been here actually for quite a few years by now. Right, yes. And what's the situation like today? Um, it's nice. It's uh, obviously uh, things are actually relaxing here in, in Boston with the COVID regulations. And, and so it's start, life is starting to become, a, again, a bit more pleasant. I always like to start off these conversations by just talking about, you know, the, 
the different parts of the world where we're speaking from. I'm actually in a little village called Oramor in the west of Ireland, so it's nice to be able to connect with you, and it's certainly a pleasure to meet you. You, uh, just for the listeners, will be releasing your new album, An Elegant Ritual, on July 16. I listened to this album and I loved it, and for sure we'll be getting into it a bit more throughout this interview. But first, I wanted to kind of start off with a relatively simple question uh, about the album to help us get started and just kind of to break the ice. What is the meaning of this particular title, An Elegant Ritual? Um, Well, there is a centerpiece to this album. Uh, which bears the same title, An Elegant Ritual. And um, when I composed that piece several years back, uh, that particular piece incorporates um, a lot of Turkish Sufi music influences, as well as uh, Javanese, Indonesian, uh, gamelan uh, influences with a lot of gongs, nipple gongs to be specific. And... um, as I was composing it, all I could think of <laughs> was uh, this, some of these coronation scenes uh, from the movie The Last Emperor. And, and the, the, uh, those scenes, um, you know, if I were to try to describe them, you know, an elegant ritual is, was, was one, one way of describing it. And then that kind of stuck with me, that imagery and, and that, uh, that, that mood, that feeling. And, and once I started creating an entire album, I thought, you know, why not have the entire album bear some sort of, you know, a ritualistic spiritual uh, uh, structure to it. Uh, and, and of course, the music uh, that was forming in addition to uh, that particular piece also had these kinds of spiritual overtones. And, uh, and so I decided to construct the album uh, as, you know, an elegant ritual. Hmm. And, and, and in doing that, I followed uh, two models. The more, I guess, the, the model that I followed more literally is, is a, uh, again, a Sufi whirling dervish, a Mevlevi ritual. And, and of course, um, while doing that, since the, the unifying language of this album is jazz, I uh, also decided to to uh, you know uh, have in the back of my mind John Coltrane's "A Love Supreme," and and so both uh, rituals, John Coltrane's "A Love Supreme" and uh, a a Mevlevi Sufi uh, ritual, they they typically are uh, they typically feature four different uh, well, whirling dervish rituals feature four sections, and of course, "A Love Supreme" has four movements. And so does my album with uh, a prelude and a postlude and so on and so forth. And a couple of interludes. In- indeed, which is, in fact, what, you know, Train did too. Right, exactly, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's uh, what I was thinking of while I was listening to the album. I found that there was also a spiritual quality and nature to the music of this uh, of this record, which called to my mind the atmosphere of, uh, like you said, John Coltrane's A Love Supreme. Would you consider yourself a spiritual person? Oh, yes, I very much am. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, so how would you, what's your relation to spirituality? So, um, well, let me give you a little bit of background. So I'm originally from Turkey, but I came to Boston uh, when I was 18 years old uh, in 1993. 
So, you know, I've been here for 28 years, a long time. Mm-hmm. But I visit I visit Turkey, you know, um, twice a year sometimes. And uh, so I never lost that touch. Uh, and uh, my mom is still alive. My sister and all of my, you know, uh, family is, is still back there. So, you know, that connection is very strong. All of that being said, uh, when I was growing up, uh, I, I grew up in a really uh, heavily Western-facing family. Right. Uh, and I did not know a thing about Turkish music. And my connection to uh, Turkish culture was was quite, you know, it was only through by being surrounded uh, with it. You know, it was the food. It was just, you know, um, uh, cultural monuments and so on and so forth. But I was not... Uh, connected to the culture uh, in, in a, a, a deep manner. And I certainly didn't know anything about Turkish music. And as if that's not enough, <laughs> I kind of had a, a bit of an Orientalist view of it too, meaning, you know, I, I championed everything that was more Western and I looked down on, on anything that was, you know, quote-unquote Eastern or Turkish for that matter. Which, of course, is is a whole other discussion and converse, conversation in itself. But but um, basically, uh, I came here. I came to Boston with that kind of a mindset, and uh, it took me seven years to rediscover my roots yeah. uh, while living in the U.S. You know, and go through a decade uh, of basically reconstructing my identity. And that whole decade. Uh, was basically marked with uh, myself uh, performing mostly uh, Turkish and related traditional musics, which meant, you know, I, I grew up as a pianist. My mom is a classical piano teacher. Right. So, so you know, I, I mean, playing Turkish musics and so on meant basically me, me learning how to play the oud, how to play the ney, and uh, the kind of person that I am, you know, I put my mind to it, and and so I did it for real. I mean, you can't just, you know, uh, you can't just learn a phrase and 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 get by with it. This is a, a yet you know a, a very monumental tradition of music. So I had to give it what it you know what it took. And so of course, learning a musical tradition means that you also have to embrace the culture, right? So. With that musical language came uh, a lot of different uh, connections, such as uh, so-called Ottoman Janissary bands, so uh, and and Ottoman court music, Ottoman Turkish court music, and or a related, uh, very much related tradition such as Byzantine music or so-called, you know, uh, or um, uh, Greek Orthodox Church music, for example. Byzantine music is a related tradition, which is es- essentially Greek Orthodox Church music. Um, so I had to, you know, all of these connections came. And, of course, <laughs> uh, Ottoman Turkish Sufi music and traditions uh, immediately followed along. And so, you know, as I was studying the music, I studied very much rediscovering my roots to Islam. Hmm. Now, like I told you, I grew up in a very Western-facing family. So, you know, I grew up very secular. Uh, Nevertheless, you know, connected, you know, culturally to Islam. 
for sure. And and I mean, we would be practicing occasionally. I mean, if if the holy month of Ramadan, you know, was was uh, happening, then then you know, I remember fasting a couple of days. No, definitely not all thirty days, <laughs> but but a couple of days. You know, so so you know that that was and and every now and then my dad would tag along. You know, for some of the prayers, and 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 I, you know, he would say, "Let's go together," and I would tag along to that too. But you know, most people would go every night. We'd go a couple nights. You know, that 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 was, and certainly not every year. Every now and then. So you know, that was my connection. But there is a strong cultural sense that had been developed. Mm. But Sufism is a whole other thing. Sufism is. The, the, I mean, in, in two words, it's Islamic mysticism. It's the, the, the very much spiritual side of Islam. And, and um, I just did not realize growing up how much Turkish culture overall has Sufism ingrained in it. Uh, to give you a quick example, uh, the reed flute, the neigh, which I play in this album a, a few times, uh, is in fact considered quite sacred in Turkish tradition. Like Turks, the minute they hear the sound of the nay flute, their response is going to be, oh my God, how spiritual this is. You know, I'm so carried away every single time I hear this. You know, their response is never going to be about some sort of entertainment aspect or dancing or anything like that. In fact, in Turkey, if someone plays nay flute, you know, say next to a belly dancer, it would it would be considered completely out of place and improper. Why? It's because the opening lines of the great mystic Rumi's famous work, the Masnevi, is about the story of the reed. And that reed is the reed flute, nay. So, in fact, that great 13th century poet, uh, mystic Rumi, placed this incredible mystical uh, importance on the nay flute. And if you stop a Turk on the road, they're not going to be able to tell you this. But it is through that tradition of the whirling dervishes that, you know, and, and that whole entire, you know, Sufi dervish tradition in Turkey that continued that legacy of Rumi uh, and about the story of the reed flute. And, and, and as a result of that, you have that in the DNA of, of, of that culture. Right. So there you, <laughs> there you have a long response to a short question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's, it's fascinating to, to hear you kind of uh, talk about that. I've actually had the pleasure of, uh, of being in Istanbul uh, a few times. And uh, I was always taken aback by the density of the city not only geographically uh or architecturally but also culturally because i think you referred to it it's almost like it's split in half one side is a uh, european uh, another side is oriental i think you used that word uh, so that kind of influenced you do you think that that cultural backdrop influenced the entire trajectory of uh your art or, or your being an artist. Definitely. Um, that, that is a, a, a tension. I think that, you know, that, that, that city and the people of Turkey, whether they're, you know, ethnically Turks or Armenians or Kurds or Greeks, you know, it doesn't matter. People of Turkey, the country, um, have been living with this tension for a long time, but 
tension, you know, is is a uh, it, it it also helps people produce things, mm. um, and and so I mean, that's what jazz is all about, right? I mean, if you look at the history of jazz, it's all about these kinds of tensions, racial tensions, that you know, artistic tensions, etc. And and while in their historical contexts, they're they're quite disturbing sometimes. Um, you know, uh, a similar uh, example can be, you know, considered for for what we are talking about here, right. and and so you know, yes, I grew up with that tension, you know, and and I debated it um, from a, a bit of an illiterate perspective, you know, I was like I said, I was an Orientalist, I I looked at my own culture uh, from a very exotic lens, I was a foreigner. To my own culture and and so growing up like that um i i kind of you know exoticized it and and um and 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 i i looked down on it and then you know i came to rediscover it reconstruct my own identity and and only to forge i think something that was richer uh but to further understand the tension that is that has been there in that region for centuries, centuries, you yeah, know? For sure. The track you are hearing right now is titled In Search, and it's the sixth track from An Elegant Ritual, the new album by Mehmed Ali Sanlikol. The album is out on July 16th and follows his critically acclaimed 2020 release, The Rise Up, stories of strife, struggle and inspiration, which featured his dynamic jazz orchestra What's Next and NEA jazz master Dave Liebman as a soloist. In fact, while Sanlico has worked within a great variety of settings, from small groups to orchestras, his forthcoming LP, An Elegant Ritual, marks his first recorded trio venture. The holdup, he reveals, was in part due to a deep-seated desire to innovate and say something entirely new in a time-honed format. Here is the second part of our conversation with Mehmet Ali Sanlico. How did you, do you remember when it was that you first became drawn or interested in, in jazz? Of course, yes. So um, I think I was about um, 
13, 14 years old when I first got into progressive British rock bands uh, because uh, Turkey actually has that connection more to to Britain and then to the United States. So so I, I got, you know, first connected to the music of, you know, bands like Pink Floyd and, and Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and Yes and so on and so forth. Uh, and then I got to, of course, understand that those bands are influenced by, you know, blues and, and, and players and bb king and and you know all, all the people uh, like steven ray vaughan and I, I i ended up discovering those kinds of musicians and and um and, and among, along the way i heard about you know of course a music called jazz uh that is connected to this you know um the, the whole uh, as i was discovering more and more older blues music and so on and so forth but you know i didn't understand these things much uh, and so I decided I'm going to go buy a book uh, about it, and I found a book on jazz history, uh, and and I started reading it, and you know, uh, shortly into it, it, it started talking about a guy named Charlie Parker who was a genius, and and so, you know, it it there was you know praises were were so high of, of Charlie Parker uh, that that I decided I'm going to go buy an album you know and and I went out I found a Charlie Parker album and and I put it on I didn't understand nothing from the first <laughs> listening I mean you know think about it you know some some turkish guy when he's 16 years old uh growing up uh, it, it, the only thing I've heard of you know jazz music was probably some you know, cheaper versions of big band music on Turkish TV, you know, so, right. so, uh, so, so uh, very and, different from Charlie Parker. <laughs> oh, my God, you know, and, and of course, if, if any relationship I had, you know, was to any kind of Western music uh, that was in depth, that was either with, you know, Western classical masters, or like I explained, more progressive, you know, rock music. So none of that prepared me to to Parker's bebop, you know. And so, so I don't understand anything. But then I I had I guess the brains to say to myself, wait, you know, this book says that this this guy is a genius. There has to be something wrong with me. Let me listen to it again, you know. So instead of quitting, I thought I'm going to listen to it again. And so I put it on again, and I didn't understand the thing again. <laughs> and, and, um, but I said to myself, geez, you know what? I'm going to just keep repeating, you know, like, let me just keep listening to this. I honestly don't know, Matt, what drew me toward that decision. Because I know many people give up. You know, they say, oh, my God, this is horrible music. I'm not going to listen to it. But for, with me, for some reason... I, I decided there with no guidance whatsoever and when I was 16 years old to keep listening to it that week. And throughout the week, um, it started growing on me. I started communicating with the music. You know, I, I started hearing things. And by the end of the week, I caught myself whistling one of the tunes, you know, when I was walking out on the street. So that's when I said, wait, uh-huh. I think I'm starting to get what's going on. And that's how I really started you know uh my jazz journey yeah it's interesting how we can we sometimes just decide to try to understand something and we're uh, there's a there's a level of determination i guess the first time that you hear the music of charlie parker or ornette coleman it's so out there and yet you continue to listen to it to try and see 
why uh, people are people that are into it are so into it. Yeah, I mean, after all, you know, there are many different musical languages out there. Yeah, it, it, you know, it just doesn't mean if you don't know a particular musical language, and if you're when you're confronted with it, with its traditional form. Yeah. It's you know it it, it it would be I think naive to assume that one can connect to that musical tradition just like that. Exactly. It's and and that 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 kind of thing relates to also all of the different art forms that are out there, because yes. and 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 you know it is it does kind of force you to get out of your comfort zone, which is uh, likable as well. We're talking about travel. You know, some people never leave their home country and never really realize what is uh, what's out there in the world. And uh, it's it, there. There's so many similarities between the act of traveling and the act of uh, listening to music or uh, yes. watching a, uh, a certain type of film or uh, yes. all of that stuff. I think are just so deeply connected. Fully agree. Yes. Mm. yes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's there's so much that I want to ask you, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm also thinking then uh, that that was you listening. But so, w <laughs> when did you start playing jazz? Sure. So. Um, I should add that as I was trying to, you know, uh, uh, understand and connect to Charlie Parker, uh -huh. uh, quickly, or around that time, I was also introduced to some jazz fusion music, like, you know, Korea Electric Band or Weather Report. That was, of course, easier considering the progressive rock background I had. So, so two kind of, you know, uh, styles, I started digging both, you know, both traditional uh, jazz and also, you know, contemporary 70s fusion and so on and so forth. And and so shortly after being exposed to um, those musical styles and, and uh, I, I tried, you know, to, to start playing a little bit on my own. But I, I, there were no people in my hometown, Bursa, that in my age group, at least, who played jazz. Um, I certainly didn't know anyone who taught jazz in, in late 80s, early 90s in my hometown. So um, I went to Istanbul and I, I you know, uh, luck, you know, it was really luck that um, a great Turkish musician, Aydın Esen, uh, who had in fact in 1992 released a, a great album, jazz album entitled Anadolu from Colombia, Sony Colombia Records. Uh, had returned to Istanbul that year. <laughs> and so I, I found him and I somehow, you know, was able to persuade him to give me lessons. Uh, he had started a course. I first attended the course, then we continued private lessons. And basically, um, I, 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 he then uh, spoke to my parents and, and within um, a year I was uh, in Boston. And in all honesty, until I, I came to Boston, I really did not have any performance, real, per, you know, jazz performance experience uh, other than just myself as a solo pianist playing. And, 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 and so uh, it, it is uh, true to say that I really started playing jazz, especially in ensemble setting, when I first came to Boston to, to start Berkeley, which is kind of crazy, but that's my story. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I played in bands, in rock bands, but that's different. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but isn't it true, though, that there, the word jazz, spelled C-A-Z, is a yes. Turkish word, and it is somehow connected to the actual 
word for jazz, J-A-Z-Z. Well, I mean, it, 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 yes, indeed. It, it is It is the quickest transliteration. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and also, you know, like if I'm writing in Turkish language, I would prefer writing it as C-A-Z. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, it has entered the, the you know, vernacular uh, spoken language in ways that sometimes people use it, you know, to um, refer to different types of uh uh, daily, you know, uh, activities or whatever, but but it is understood to represent jazz music. Yeah. So would you say that like jazz is still a relatively new thing? Now, uh, no, but only if we consider the city of Istanbul. Uh, uh-huh. Outside of the city of Istanbul, it's a different story. Right. Now, this this let me tell you a, a quick thing about this. Of course, you know, if you if you think about it. Um, you know, one of the the, the, the the last great empires of the Middle East, the Ottoman Empire's throne was in Istanbul, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, you know, that, that throne was there for quite a few centuries. As a result of that, you know, as a result of Istanbul having that kind of privilege as a city, uh, also, uh, you know, toward the end of that empire, especially when, when Ottomans were trying to westernize themselves, they actually had great connection to uh, to to Europe uh, culturally as well. For example, um, they commissioned a national anthem from none other than the great Rossini. Hmm. Uh, they had the great Franz Liszt come to Istanbul and give you know the elite uh, a, a private recital at the uh, you know at the court. Uh, and these, there are countless examples. I mean, when they decided to reform their imperial band, they hired none other than the older brother of the famous Caetano Donizetti, the opera composer. I mean, this is the kind of connection, because it's royalty. It's the great Ottoman throne, you know. They're not going to be any less than, you know, Europeans. And so, and, and so that's, that's, that's the connection. Now, the point I'd like to make is uh, that kind of elite uh, people, of course, you know, they didn't evaporate. They continued into the Turkish Republic period and they were connected with Europe and America. In fact, case in point, think about Atlantic Records, which was founded by two Turks and, and Jerry Baxler, you know, an American, you know, so the Nest, the, the Ertegun brothers you know, played a great role in, in, in jazz and, of course, you know, all kinds of African-American musics, right? Right, yeah. How can that even happen? <laughs> it's it, Well, it's because, you know, the father of those two brothers was the, the first ambassador uh, of Turkish Republic to the United States. That is, you know, and get this, this is, this is really crazy. Their grandfather was a Sufi dervish. Hmm. Now, that... That is actually a, a, a learned elite lineage, is my point. That they were connected, you know, uh, to that, that more upper class, uh, learned, cultured, quote unquote, upper class of, of, of that. And, uh, I don't mean to make this, uh, you know, just Turkish, Turkish, Turkish. That upper class included, you know, all kinds of, you know, Ottomans, whether they were Greeks or Armenians too. Again, another important connection to the city of Istanbul from this very same perspective, the Ziljin family. They also came from Istanbul and they took 
part in, in revolutionizing the sound of the drum set, therefore contributing to jazz history, right? So you see, um, if you talk about the city of Istanbul, that's a different story. Yeah. Jazz has, you know, jazz has a, a, a history there. Now, whether it was widely recognized, accepted, understood, that's a different story. But with a, with a, with a small niche, due to that, you know, long history I just gave you, there's actually an incredible connection there. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that city, and in fact, you know, outside of that elite group of people, even within that city, well, it's harder to talk about, you know, jazz history in Turkey. But um, I think it is also, um, you know, I don't think it would be fair to history of jazz to underestimate the contributions of some of these people that I just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm finding it super interesting to hear you to uh, share all of these things because that's sort of the spirit of this podcast Thank but me. just to return to your new album uh, uh an elegant ritual uh, which like i said i listened to and i thought was great um Thank you. I, I i also understand uh moving away slightly uh, uh mm-hmm. perhaps to from from the actual cultural influences that this is actually your first uh piano trio album today In- Indeed, indeed, because I, I'm more known as a large ensemble composer because, <clears throat> you know, that, that has been the, the majority of my output so far. Uh, well, uh, I take that back. The majority of my output, believe it or not, has been traditional Turkish music because throughout that decade when I was playing, you know, mostly traditional music, I actually uh, <laughs> produced and released quite a few albums. Uh, but then, then, you know, when I returned, literally returned to jazz in around 2012, I quickly followed up in 2014, 2016 with two large ensemble albums. And then uh, last year I released uh, another large ensemble album featuring, you know, the, the great Dave Liebman. So, um, and, and overall, I'm, I, even I, I myself, you know, typically, uh, will put, you know, the composer ahead of the performer if I am looking at myself as a musician. But I've been, you know, I, I mean, I played my first concert uh, when I was five years old as a pianist. And, and I played concerts, you know, every year um, with, along with my mom's students. And then I started playing, you know, in rock bands and played concerts in my teens. And then, you know, I've been playing. I've been, I'm, a, I'm a performer. And... Aside from the Turkish instruments that I learned uh, since I was 25 years old, you know, I've been playing piano for all these years. And I got to say, you know, sometimes people ask me to go play in their albums some Turkish instruments. And, you know, typically I can't even bring myself to do that if there's another pianist, because I feel like, man, that's my primary instrument. This I do well, too. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't see myself you know, <clears throat> honoring my, my legacy enough in, in those kinds of situations. Yeah. So um, in any case, uh, basically, yes. So this is a special album. It took many years because I had these other commissions and or, you know, priorities. Life, life you know, took its own turn for me. You know, the discovery of my own roots was quite coincidental and and. And so here I am at age, you know, 46, releasing my first uh, trio album. 
and and that is that is very special indeed. But and what is it that you find stimulating uh, stimulating about this uh, this format now that you've worked within it? And also, uh, mm -hmm. can you tell us about your fellow musicians on this record too? You, you bet. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's an interesting uh, issue because, well, it is a piano trio, but um, at the same time, you know, I do have, like I mentioned earlier, um, in two tracks, I'm playing the, the Turkish naif reed flute, and I have incorporated Indonesian gongs into the, the you know, makeup of this album, and I, I sing along a lot in the album. That's right. Uh, just, just, just because my voice is... Uh, a natural extension of my musicianship. Ever since I've known myself, I've been using my voice. Uh -huh. When I play, you know, I, I, you know even in my uh, jazz albums from uh, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, you can hear me kind of singing along when I improvise on the piano and so on and so forth. So uh, that's just a very natural extension of my musicianship. And, and so I did that on this album too. So even with that, you know, it's not quite a very traditional, you know, jazz piano trio album. That being said, I am who I am and, and I, I like honoring traditions very much, believe it or not, uh, because at the same time, you know, my existence is all about innovation. Uh, yet, you know, I, I don't innovate for the sake of tradition. I, I hope to somehow innovate through internalizing tradition. And, and so this album honors the piano trio tradition very much, at least with a few tracks. You know, there are a couple tracks, like in fact, the album ends with in Invitation, a jazz standard, uh, and, and that is very much performed in the, in the spirit of the jazz piano tradition. A couple other tracks like that. Uh, but then there are, there are, you know, other pieces where the Turkish influences are more subtle, they're kind of in there, but, but you know, they're not very explicit. And then there are these other tracks, um, uh, like the title track, An Elegant Ritual, where, you know, the Turkish and even Indonesian influences sneak in and, and kind of almost take over. And so, you know, it is, um, yeah, I still wanted to say something new at the, at the end of the day. And this was my way of doing it. I, I found a way of structuring the entire album, you know, uh, in, 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 or, you know, after spiritual models that we have discussed earlier. I think the music very much embraces that, that spirituality in many ways, in multiple ways. And, and, and so basically, um, I, 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 I kind of go, you know, between tradition and innovation while, you know, uh, while keeping jazz as the unifying language of the album, uh, and 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 um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's the overall vibe. Though there is, however, a sound, a, a feel, a mood that unites the whole thing for sure. Yeah, I would agree for sure. Yeah, and so Mehmed, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you about it. I'll just remind our listeners that uh, your new album, An Elegant Ritual, is out on July sixteenth. And I thank you very much for joining us and uh, talking with us. And thank you for your generous answers. It's been a pleasure. Matt, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to talk, you know, about my album as well as. Uh, such, you know, culturally important issues to me. Thank you.
hope you enjoyed that fascinating conversation with musical polymath Mehmet Ali Sanlikol. I certainly did. His new album, An Elegant Ritual, will be released on July 16th on the Dunia label. If you liked that conversation, I suggest checking out other episodes of Jazz is Travel across various media streaming platforms. And while you're at it, check out jazzis.com as well. Jazzis.com is our regularly updated website on all things jazz where you'll be able to find more news, reviews and features on jazz from the best known works to the hidden gems. Till the next time, stay healthy, stay safe, stay strong. <laughs>